Ah, there you are. Good morning. How's everybody? Welcome to Hurricane Sunday here at the bridge. It's good to be in the house with all of you today. You guys are the ones who braved the 8 to 10 mile an hour winds <laughs> and the heavy rain that is descending upon us right now. I'm sure there's going to be more throughout the day, and that's not to make light of those in other places who have gotten it a whole lot worse than we have, but hey, thank you for braving these rough conditions, and we also want to welcome everybody who's hunkered down in the basement at home today. Thank you for joining us online. It's great to spend the morning with you. You know, it's funny, in California, when you mention rain, people freak out. When you mention storm or even hurricane, it's like, dude, batten down the hatches because you never know what might happen. In fact, I got a friend that sent me a hilarious picture. I wanted to share this with you guys if we have it on the screen. My friend went shopping at Costco yesterday, and this guy was next to him in line. And so I'm looking at this picture, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a perfect picture of California when a storm or just rain in general comes. Because on the bottom, you might not be able to, to discern it, but that's a generator on the bottom. There's a large box of baby wipes. On the whole of the cart, there's more water than what will actually fall today from the sky. There's toilet paper, there's paper towels, and in case the flooding gets terrible on top, there's a boogie board. I mean, is that California or what? Congratulations, California. The rest of America just celebrates us in the midst of a storm. But hey, it's good to be in the house this morning. We're thrilled that you are here. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge. I have the privilege of getting to share God's word with you today. So if you got your Bible, meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Last week we kicked off a series called Seeing Beyond Myself. This is really more of a two-part message than a series. Last week we looked at a New Testament passage of Scripture where Jesus tells three parables emphasizing the heart of God for the lost. But today I want to go back to the Old Testament and show you another passage of Scripture that kind of goes in a different direction and helps us also to see beyond ourselves. And before we go into that passage of Scripture today, I want to tell you a quick story. Now, I have to tell you this morning that this story has absolutely nothing to do with my message, but I think it's a good way to kick us off today. This week, uh, my wife in the evening, it was almost dark, the kids were kind of going to bed, and she says, I'm going to go for a little walk real quick, and so, you know, pretty soon she takes off for a walk, and I didn't realize that my son, my six-year-old son, had gone with her. So a little bit later, you know, they come home, and I kind of just assumed that he was with her, but after we put the kids to bed, we're talking, and I said, I didn't know you were taking Waylon with you on the walk, and she's like, yeah, he wanted to go, so I, I let him come, and she was telling me that, you know, he just starts opening up, and this is, you parents know this, when you get one of your kids kind of alone and isolated, they just start talking, and it's amazing, like, when you start to realize that your kid's kind of articulate, you're like, wow, like, listen to everything you're saying, right? And so... They go on this walk together, and Ashley gets home later, and she tells me that Waylon decided to tell her just how much she lo he loves going on walks with her. He's, he says, Mama, I got to tell you, I love going on walks with you for three reasons. And then he said it exactly like this. Number one, I love being with you, Mom. Number two, it's just great workout. <laughs> and number three, I love being in nature. And, you know, to me, that was a super cute story, but Ashley concludes that, and she says, you know what, I'm realizing more and more that your son is a whole lot like you because he gives me a three-point sermon on how much he loves <laughs> going on a walk. And the reason I start off the message that way today is to tell you I don't have a three-point sermon for you today. I got a five-point sermon for you, all right? Now, we got a lot of ground to cover, and somebody once said you shouldn't read too much Scripture in church, but I'm like, hey, it's church. Why would we not read a lot of Scripture? So... Let's jump into 1 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. And I want to tell you a cool story. In fact, 
This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and one of the reasons I love it the most is because it's kind of obscure. It's really easy to overlook, and it's really easy to move right past what happens in this passage of Scripture. 1 Samuel 9, look at verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite. I didn't even get all those names right, I'm sure. But he was a Benjamite and a mighty man of power. Notice those words, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, notice where the story starts to go. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go and look for our donkeys. Now let's just push pause right here for just a moment. This passage introduces us to a significant figure in the Old Testament, a man named Saul. Saul, of course, would go on to become the very first king over the nation of Israel. And we'll talk a little, about, a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But before we meet Saul, we're first introduced to his father, a man named Kish. And Kish is recorded as being a mighty man of power, or in other words, he was wealthy, powerful, and influential in his part of Israel. That's what most Bible scholars conclude from reading about Kish. And on this particular day, Kish has realized that the family is missing some valuable animals, specifically a few donkeys. It's important to note here that Saul, by any biblical measure, would have been considered a pretty privileged kid. So when his father sent him on a mission to find his lost donkeys, he could have very easily felt like this task was beneath him. He could have said, Dad, I don't want to concern myself with such menial tasks. In other words, if you look at that word menial, it means that it's something that a servant would do, not something that a son would do. But instead, that's not the response that we see from Saul. The next verse shows us that Saul simply grabbed his servant and he left with the servant to go and do the thing that his father had asked. Now, today, again, we're continuing in this series or this little two-part message called Seeing Beyond Myself. And I think we see a really beautiful picture play out in this story. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thought that I want to give you about seeing beyond myself. Number one, significance usually starts with simple service. Significance usually starts with simple service. I remember when I got out of Bible college, I was really hungry, really eager to jump right into ministry. My pastor was really wise not to give me a prominent position in our church because I wasn't yet married. And good pastors know to go slow with single people having prominent positions in the church. But that's another story for another day. Had to work out some things, convince my wife to marry me, and then later on, more open doors came. But here's the point. When I got back from Bible college, my pastor looks at me and he says, Zach, I have something I want you to do, a team that I want you to lead. And I said, okay, what is it? He says, I want you to take over our setup and teardown teams. Now, you got to realize we were a church plant. When you come back hungry to get into ministry, overseeing the setup and teardown team is not exactly the most exciting job that you can be given. Because we set up at one location, listen to this, we set up at one location in the morning. When we were done, we tore down. We put all the stuff back into the truck. From there, we went to another location on Sunday night, set up, had church, two services, tore down afterward, filled the truck back up. And while everybody else was going to dinner, we were taking the truck to storage, unloading the truck, putting everything into a storage bin, then taking the truck back to the rental yard and dropping it off. That was what a Sunday looked like for me for a season of life when I got out of Bible college. Now, I'm not saying that to put myself on the pedestal because it was a really, really 
difficult season. And to be honest with you, it tested me in such a way that I almost gave up. And it was a really difficult time to get through. But days were long, and when people go to lunch after, after church on Sunday, I got the truck. When people are going to dinner after church on Sunday night and going to hang out, I got the truck. Back to storage, back to the rental yard. And it was like Sunday night after Sunday night was going to bed after midnight. And it was really, really tough for a season. And I went through, you know, kind of a tough season of testing there and came out the other side and went through a few other things that got me through that season. But here's what's most interesting. My my pastor had sat me down at his dining room table at his house and given me that opportunity. Fast forward about four years after I had gotten married and at that very same dining room table, I sat down with my pastor and again, he gave me a new opportunity and that was to preach in our church for the very first time. And I was really, really humbled to get that opportunity and I asked him, I was like, Thanks so much for giving me this opportunity. Why are you giving this to me? He said, well, first of all, I know that this is what you're called to do. He said, but secondly, you need to understand that you have passed the test. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, one of the things I've understood when it comes to preachers is that if you are too big to set up that platform, you will always be too small to stand on it. And I know that I'm standing up here right now, but just stop for a moment and think of, maybe it's not an actual platform that involves a microphone and people, but what is the thing, the bigger thing that's in front of you that you feel like God is calling you to? Maybe right now that opportunity hasn't materialized in front of you, but is there a smaller task, a simple act of service that God is calling you to that seems insignificant, so therefore it's too small or it's beneath you right now? Let me just tell you, if you are too big to set up the platform, one day you will be too small to stand on it and you won't arrive at the destination God is calling you to. Because significance usually starts with simple service. What is the simple thing that God is calling you to right now that seems beneath you? Perhaps he wants to use this to prepare you for the bigger thing that he has in front of you. Somebody say amen. Amen. We could stay there a whole lot longer, but here's a couple things I want to point out to you real quick. When we look at this story, we see that the whole reason that Saul has gone on to do this is because his father has asked him to do it. What an amazing principle. And I'll take that and kind of transfer it into the world in which we live. Let me ask that question again. Whose donkeys was Saul looking for? His father's. That's the answer to the question. You see, anytime our father in heaven asks us to serve at the pleasure of his kingdom, no request is insignificant. Not only that, but in the kingdom of God, servants are sons and sons are servants. There is no distinction. So again, what has God called you to do that might seem insignificant in this season of life? Perhaps he's preparing you for the bigger things ahead. Luke 16, Jesus said it this way. He said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Today's translation, you who choose to be faithful with little, God will entrust you with a whole lot more. Because significance starts with simple servants. Service, excuse me. But listen, sometimes serving requires perseverance because it's not always easy. So let's read on in the story and see what happens next. Verse 4. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find the donkeys. Then they passed through the land of Shalom, and they were not there either. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find the donkeys. When they had come to the land of Zuf, which is a really funny name for a land, it must have belonged to a guy, Named Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father ceases to care about the donkeys and starts to worry about us. And he said to him, notice what the servant says. Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. So let's pause again and notice what's just happened. 
Notice here that when Saul feels like the donkeys are becoming a lost cause, he says that it's time to go home because soon my father's not going to care about the donkeys. He's going to start to worry about us. And even though the donkeys haven't yet been found, the servant isn't ready to give up just yet. Again, we're talking about seeing beyond myself. Here's the second thought, second principle I want to share with you this morning. Number two, a true servant says continue when everyone else says quit. A true servant says continue when everybody else says quit. Have you ever been assigned to something that after a while it just felt like a lost cause or maybe you weren't doing it as well as you thought you would or the thing that you were chasing just hadn't materialized yet? All of us need someone to come alongside us when we feel like quitting and say, don't quit now. We're almost to the place that we're supposed to go. We're almost to the place we're supposed to be. We're almost to the place that God is calling us. And I told you that story a little bit ago about when I was entrusted with our setup and teardown teams. One of the things that happened at that season of my life was I didn't have a job. When I got back from Bible college, I couldn't find a good job. I got home in 2000, the very end of 2008. I don't know if you guys remember, but that was a really crappy year, 2008. The housing market crashed. People couldn't find jobs. They lost the jobs that they had. So I was trying to find a job, and I was actually working as a valet at a very high-end resort in Orange County. And because I had a job like that, I had to work on Sundays a lot, and it was the only job I could get. And for a while, I had to kind of choose, am I going to work to have some money in my pocket and pay my bills, or am I going to just you know, choose not to work at all and serve on Sundays? And it didn't make sense. Sometimes I could get Sundays off, but sometimes I couldn't. And I'll never forget, in June of 2009, this season stretched on long for me. I remember it was June in 2009 because I used to be a really, really diehard Lakers fan. And the Lakers had just beat the Orlando Magic to win the NBA championship on a Sunday afternoon, right before we were to have church. And I had been working a lot of Sundays and a lot of long hours, overtime and all this stuff. And I had a Sunday off. And to be really honest with you, I was just like, I don't even want to go to church today. I just don't feel like going. I kind of shifted my responsibilities to somebody else who could faithfully do it for a while. But what began to happen in my life was that my calling, which was to be there planted in the church, was kind of drifting because I was trying to create space, and I was a little bit tired, and I was a little bit weary and worn out, and I kind of, for a moment, wanted to quit. And I will never forget, as long as I live, that evening, my now wife, Ashley, calls me, and she's at church. And at this time, man, we were having a really hard time working things out. (laughs) It was not happening. It was not working out. And I was like this lovesick boy that things ain't working out, and she calls me as our first evening service was beginning at church. And so I get the call, and I pick up the phone, and I'm like, hi. She's like, hey, where are you? And I was like, I'm at home. I got a day off. The Lakers just won the championship. And she says, yeah, but why aren't you here? And I'll, I mean, I'll never forget it. She said to me, this, this place just isn't the same without you. And I remember leaving a few minutes later to come to church, and I came in a little bit late for first service, stuck around for second service. But I'll tell you what, I was kind of at a moment in my life where I was ready to give up on that relationship, but I was also just ready to give up on my calling for a little while because I was tired and discouraged. And everybody needs someone to come alongside you and say continue when everything inside of you says quit. And you might be in a season right now where you're wanting to quit. Can I be the voice who looks at you square in your eyes and says, continue this morning. Don't give up on the thing that God is calling you to just because it hasn't materialized yet. Don't quit. Instead, continue. Maybe right now you can think of somebody in your life who is quitting and they need someone to speak up, look them dead in the eye and say, don't quit now. You're almost to the place that God is calling you to go. Be the voice that says continue when everybody else around them is saying to quit. 
Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do for others is see beyond ourselves, and when they want to quit, be the one person in their life that says, continue, keep going, don't stop now. You're almost to the place that God is calling you to go. Tell them continue even if they want to quit. Now look at verse seven, let's read on in the story. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man of God? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And this is kind of a picture of bringing a tribute to the man of God. One of the words that's used a lot at this part of the Old Testament is the word seer, which was more commonly used before prophet. And it was as if you would approach the man of God to ask him a question, to hear from God through him. And so they wanted to bring a tribute to honor him in hopes that he would have an answer for them. Look at what verse 8 says. And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here one-fourth a shekel of silver, and I will give that to the man of God if he will tell us our way. Now, here's the third thought I want to give you, third principle about seeing beyond ourselves this morning, all right? Number three, a true servant encourages even at their own expense. A true servant encourages others even at their own expense. And I love this part of the story because remember, Saul was the privileged kid. He was the one more likely to have money in his pocket, a little jangle in his pocket so that he could give a tribute to the prophet when they got there. But he looks at his bag and he says, we've already eaten the bread. We've got nothing left. What are we going to do if we're going to go see the prophet? They don't even know who they're looking for. But when we get there, if we're going to give him a tribute, we have nothing to give. And the servant reaches in his pocket. The one who was less likely to have anything on him, he reaches out and he says, I got a fourth of a shekel of silver. It's all I got. I just happened to have it. And even though it was probably a whole lot less than what Saul and his dad had at home, the servant was willing to get it and give it away so that they could get to the place that his father had asked him to go. Wow. What a statement that is. See, this servant most likely didn't have as much money of his own as Saul probably had at home, but yet he gives it as if it's a small price to pay to help the master's son accomplish his mission. And if I, wa- I wonder in the back of his mind if the servant was thinking, it's safe to give what I have because when I return home, my master, who has plenty of money, will probably pay me back and take care of me. You see, likewise, when we choose to invest in others at our own expense, what we are actually saying is, it's safe to invest in my father's servants because my master in heaven has no shortage of resources. If I spend my own time, my own money, and my own resources investing in others, I know my father in heaven is going to take really good care of me. Because a true servant encourages and invests even at their own expense. Who's that person in your life that you've been a little bit hesitant to pour something out because it's gonna cost you something? What if by doing that, you were gonna propel them into an amazing destiny that God has for their lives? Can I tell you something? Don't be willing to part with the thing that God has put in your pocket because God is the best bookkeeper there is. If you invest in others, he will make sure that you don't lose out on anything. Amen? Now, Right here is where we have to kind of push pause on this story and talk a little bit about the background of why this is all happening because there's something that's about to take place that if you don't know the whole context of the story, none of this will make sense. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, what we see is that the elders of the people that are there in Israel, the elders that have been kind of propelled above the nation of Israel, they come to Samuel the prophet and they demand that God give them a king to rule over them. See, at that time, they were a theocracy with judges appointed over them to govern 
their everyday affairs. But the specific request that's been brought here to God through Samuel was that God will give them a king, a man like the other nations of the earth to rule over them. And when the people brought this request to Samuel, he was deeply hurt and he was deeply saddened because he thought that the people were rejecting him as a priest and as a prophet and as one of their judges. And he thought as though he had done wrong by them, so therefore they want him out. So Samuel goes to God and Samuel says, God, this is the request. They don't want to be ruled by you anymore. They don't want to have judges among them. Instead, they want to be like all the other nations of the earth and they want to have a man who sits on the throne and rules over them. And he's heartbroken and he goes to God with this and God says, Samuel, don't be heartbroken over this because it's not you they're rejecting, it's me they're rejecting. And so Samuel in this heartbroken position says, okay, and God says, now listen, don't turn a deaf ear to the people. Let them say what they want and I'll give them what they want. So that's the background to this story because it looks as though things are about to shift in the nation of Israel and now God is gonna give the nation of these people, his chosen people, what they want. That's a king, a man to sit on a throne, an imperfect person to oversee them and over their nation. So that's the background of everything that's about to happen here in the next part of the story. So let's read on. Look at verse 14. So they went up to the city, still talking about Saul and his servant. And as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you shall anoint him commander or king over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? So here we have this face-to-face meeting with Saul and Samuel. Remember, all the while, Saul is chasing after his father's donkeys. And I gotta be honest with you, as I was preparing this message, I've preached from this passage before, but when I outline this message, every time I find myself coming back to that, just that phrase alone, Saul is looking for some donkeys, it just sounds silly. Because this is a passage of incredible significance. See, Saul's looking for some donkeys, but Samuel's looking for the next king. And neither one of them are aware of what God is orchestrating and arranging when they come face to face here in this story. Now, we see that word seer, and it's used to describe a prophet. So when Saul approaches Samuel, again, he doesn't even know who Samuel is. And remember, the only reason he's there is because he's searching for the donkeys. So again, get the picture, see the picture. Samuel comes looking for Saul, He's looking for a king, but Saul has come looking for some donkeys. It's this really strange encounter. But remember, significance always starts with simple service. So read on, verse 19. So Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. And Saul's probably sitting there thinking like, what? I just came to ask you where the donkeys are, man. You want me to hang out? You want me to spend the night? Tomorrow you're going to tell me something? What? We're going to eat? I I don't even understand. But look at what happens next, verse 20. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, that tells us that these people have been searching for donkeys for three days. That just sounds ridiculous. But it also talks about the perseverance of the servant who got Saul into this place. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them. 
for they have been found. So imagine this picture. Oh, the donkeys have been found. That's great. We're three days away from home. Except there's something that's more significant about to happen. Second part of verse 20. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on your father's house? See, when Samuel says this, he knows what Israel's desire is. It's for a king. But Saul doesn't know that the thing everybody's asking for is him. He's the one that God's going to use. It's a day of divine appointment. Now look at verse 21. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Again, pause right here because if we go back in the story, we know that Saul did not come from a poor or, or insignificant family. And even though Saul knew that he came from a family of means and influence, notice that he still doesn't see himself or his family as being worthy of recognition. He's like, we're the least of our tribe. Sure, they were people of influence and people of significance in their region, but he looks at himself and says, what, me, worthy? And the next thought I want to give you this morning, if you're taking notes, number four, humble hearts receive awesome opportunities. Humble hearts receive awesome opportunities. And I use that word awesome here this morning for a very specific reason, because just the word awesome alone means that we stand in awe of something. And I think when Saul ran into Samuel and realized that this was a divine appointment and Samuel starts to talk to him, I think he was so overwhelmed with awe that he stood there and thought, man, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to deserve a divine appointment? Who am I that God would choose me to be great or be influential or to do anything significant for his kingdom? Who am I? Because even though he came from an influential family in his region, he still didn't see himself as being worthy. I'm reminded here in James chapter 4, we see this beautiful writing of James where he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. If there's ever been a day of self-promotion, the 21st century was the day. How many followers can I get? How many people can I have watching what's going on in my life? How can I lift myself up? How can I promote myself above others? How can I grab attention so that everybody sees me, 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 me? But right here where we see the greatest of divine appointments come for Saul, he looks at himself and says, me? My family? My background? I'm in awe of this. See, God gives awesome opportunities to people with humble hearts. And we said earlier that if we're too big to set up the platform, then we'll be too small to, to stand on it. Can I tell you something? If we see the things that God puts in front of us as being something I'm totally, completely worthy of, we will mess it up in our pride, in our arrogance. But if we wake up every single day saying, God, humble me, humble me, humble me. Let me walk with you. Let me walk in your plans, not my plans. Let me build your kingdom and not my kingdom. I think John the Baptist had it best. When people came to him, his followers came to him and said, guys, or they said, John, people are leaving. They're going, they're following this Jesus guy. And John says, he must increase, I must decrease. But he also makes this statement. He says, a man only has that which God gives to him. Man, we live in a time where we are trying to draw so many things to ourselves, to ourselves, to ourselves from me, 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 me. John the Baptist had it figured out. He must increase and I must decrease. I only got what God chooses to give me. So if I have a humble heart, he'll promote me into everything that he's calling me to do. Amen? Now, here's the final picture in this story. We could spend so much time throughout the rest of this passage, but I recognize this is a long story that we're reading this morning. But the last picture we see in this passage 
is of, is of Saul and his servant. They're being invited into this great feast. So Samuel, the prophet, the seer, he's prepared this feast that he brings them into. And they're really celebrating the fact that he's now found Saul. Saul, we don't even know if he fully understands everything that Samuel is about to do. But they're invited to this great feast where Saul is seated in the place of honor. And he, saw, he, excuse me, he served the royal portions of food. But what's even cooler in this picture is that right there at the table alongside Saul is his servant. The servant who got him there. The servant who encouraged him. The servant who said, keep going. The servant who was willing to encourage even at his own expense. When Saul arrives at his moment of divine appointment, there's the servant right there next to him getting to see the whole thing play out. Recognizing it's not about him, this is Saul's moment. Such a beautiful picture. Look at verse 26. So they arose early. This is the next day after the feast. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, get up, that I may send you on your way. Notice again. Saul, excuse me, Samuel called up to Saul from the top of the house saying, you're about to leave, you're about to go home. I'm gonna be sending you on your way. Look at verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go in ahead of you, to go on home ahead of you, walk a little ways in front of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. In closing this morning, very last thought I want to give you, number five. I know five-point sermons aren't usually my thing. This is a longer passage of Scripture. The fifth thought I want to give you, number five, a servant, a servant knows when to encourage, but a servant also knows when to exit. This moment ain't about me. I'm just here to serve my, father, my master's purposes. This whole picture is a picture of this servant propelling Saul into his destiny. See, Saul never makes it to his appointed destiny if his servant doesn't encourage him to continue. And the servant even gets a glimpse of Saul's calling at this feast of celebration. But when the time comes for Samuel to speak with Saul about his calling, he instructs the servant to go on ahead of him. Why? Because this moment is now about Saul. It's not about the servant anymore. What does the servant do? He gladly bows out, knowing he has completed his task. Again, why? Because the servant knows when to encourage, but he also knows when to exit. In this story, there's three characters. Only three characters that really show up and play out in this story. It's the king, the prophet, and the servant. And I think that most of us would sign up to be the king. Because when you're the king, you got power, you got position, you got influence, you've got authority. A lot of us might even sign up to be the prophet because... The prophet gets to hear from God in a unique way, and then you have influence with the king. But I'd be willing to bet that a whole lot less of us would sign up to be the servant. Because when we read on in the Old Testament, we see the rest of Saul's life play out, his accomplishments, his failures. And we see that he plays a significant role in the record of the nation of Israel. And likewise, when we read on, we see the rest of Samuel's story play out and that he too played a significant role in the record of the nation of Israel. But guess what? This is the only picture that we see in the life of this servant. He's not mentioned at all in scripture. And not only that, we don't even know his name. So the king gets to become the king because a nameless, faceless servant gets him to that position. A prophet gets to meet the appointed king because a nameless, faceless servant Make sure that the king gets there. 
God came down to you and say, I have a great calling for your life. I have something amazing. And millions of people are going to shout your name. They're going to stand on a platform in front of thousands of people, millions of people. There's going to be so much recognition. Man, many of us would be like, that sounds cool. If God came down and said, I'm going to speak to you in a unique way so that you can get the ear of the king and guide a nation of people to follow me, most of us would say, that sounds awesome. I love the idea of having influence among those who are powerful and, and, and have authority within the nation. But what if God came to you and said, the greatest thing I'm going to call you to do is something that nobody will ever know who was that did it because they're not even going to know your name. Would you still be willing to do it? I remember a few years ago, we were sitting with some great, great friends of ours, and they were expecting their first child and their daughter who is now just doing fantastic today, they walked through a very, very difficult pregnancy and the doctors had basically told them like, hey, don't even go through with the rest of the pregnancy. And they just held on to the promises of God and she was born healthy. She sat in the NICU for actually up to a few months, but to this day she's doing great and she's thriving. And I'll never ever forget sitting in their living room with them one day <laughs> and watching a mom and a dad just cry over everything that they were going through during pregnancy. And I remember that wife who's still, again, she's a great friend of ours, She's talking to us that day, and she says, you know, it's so funny when you feel like you have the call of God on your life, you wonder how big that's going to be. You wonder the places that it's going to take you, the things that you're going to do for the kingdom of God. And sometimes you can have big dreams and big ambitions and big aspirations. She's like, she's like, but then suddenly you are pregnant with a child, and you're facing this other thing. She's like, and you realize that the greatest job I'll ever have in life isn't to really propel myself into anything. It's to propel this child into everything God's calling them to be. She says, because when you become a parent, it's as if you realize like, it's not really so much about me anymore. I think sometimes we are slow and we are hesitant to step into the things that God is asking us to do on a daily basis because they feel insignificant and, mo and we might not ever get any credit or recognition for the thing that God is calling us to do. But would you be willing to step out and do something that seems insignificant, even if it is the most significant thing God will ever ask you to do in your life? Like I said, we know the story of Saul in the Old Testament. We know the story of Samuel. So much of their life's story, we know. But that's the only picture that we see of the servant. That's not to say that there wasn't a greater life that he went on to live. I don't know. But here's what I do know, that one day, even if that was the greatest thing he did, his reward in heaven would be great before God because he didn't care if he got any recognition for the thing that the master had asked him to do. For all of us, I think seeing beyond ourselves kind of requires us to check our ego at the door and say, God, even if nobody ever, I know, ever knows my name for the thing you're asking me to do, I'm willing to do it because it's gonna advance your kingdom's purposes. And God, I'm not here to be about my business. I'm here to be about yours. And we all have to stop and ask ourselves, are we willing to do it even if nobody knows our name? What is that task you've been given that seems insignificant? Would you be willing to do it even if you knew that significance, or would you be willing to do it if you knew that significance lies on the other side of serving? What is God calling you to serve? Who is he calling you to serve? Who are the people around you that he's asking you to lay your life down for? Who is God calling you to encourage, even if it's at your own expense? People might not ever know our names. They might not ever give us any recognition, but it might be the greatest thing we would do with our life if serve somebody else, even if we aren't recognized. Are we willing to do it? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Sometimes the highest things God calls us to do require us to lower ourselves. But if we're willing to serve, not caring about recognition, it's God who lifts us up. It's God who promotes. And it's God who propels into the calling that he has for us. 
I know this has been a bit of a different message today as we talk about seeing beyond ourselves, but I just pray right now in this moment that we would just stop and take inventory of what's going on around us. So often when we come to God, what we do is say, God, here's my need. God, here's my issue. God, here's my concern. And those things are important to God. He cares about that. But sometimes we get so consumed with what's going on in our lives that we fail to see the people that God has placed around us. Because if we can see beyond ourselves, we'll recognize that there's more purpose in this life than just getting what I want from God. Sometimes he wants us to give what he's given to us to propel others into their destiny. So Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would show us who it is you're calling us to serve. I pray in this moment, Father, that you would show us who it is that you're calling us to encourage. God, I believe right now in this moment there are people in this room, they've been tasked with something that seems insignificant, but God, it's something you're calling them to do. I pray that right now, right here, you would show them that there is significance that lies on the other side of this decision to simply serve. God, I pray as your people, we would be willing to check our egos at the door. We would be willing to set recognition aside, and we would be willing to serve others just as Jesus served us. Jesus, you said that the greatest in the kingdom would be servants. Jesus, you said that you didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And I pray, Father, that we would look at the example of Christ and recognize that it's not about us. It's all about our Father's kingdom. It's all about our Father's business. And we would gladly be willing to serve and encourage those around us. Help us to see beyond ourselves. Help us to be that kind of church, that kind of people, and those kind of Christians. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. With heads bowed for just one more moment, we use that word significance in that message today. Perhaps the most significant person in the whole story is the person whose name we don't even know. Just willing to give of themselves. A life of significance in the kingdom of God starts with the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus, the one who didn't come and count himself as being any more significant than anybody else, but instead laid his life down in simple service. He died a death on a cross, not just for sin in general, but for my sin and your sin, a price that we could not pay to be forgiven and brought back into right standing with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And I wanna say it one more time, a life of significance starts with the decision to follow Christ. You might be here this morning and you say, Zach, all this talk about God, all this talk about church, I don't even know God. I wanna tell you this morning that the way we know God is by saying yes to Jesus. Jesus talked about his father in heaven and he said, you can have a relationship with my father in heaven, but there's only one way to get there and that's by saying yes to what Jesus did for us. The beauty of it all is that Jesus didn't just die on a cross so that we could be forgiven. Three days later, God raised him from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it in eternity. I wanna tell you this morning, God has life in front of you on the other side of this decision to follow Jesus. When you step into a life of following Jesus, death is dead and it has no rule over your life. God has great plans for your life here on earth and as well as in eternity, but it's up to us to say yes. I'm gonna pray a prayer here in just a moment and I wanna invite every single person in the room. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Christ at some point in your life, but today you know you're not walking with him. I wanna invite you to come home. I wanna invite you back into this relationship by saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you wanna do that for the very first time. It would be my honor and privilege to help walk you into that relationship with God today by saying yes to Jesus. I'm gonna pray that prayer right now and I wanna invite you just to have your own words, invite Christ into your life this morning and thank him for what he has done for you. Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross to pay for my sin. I thank you, Jesus, that when you were on the cross, I was on your mind, I was on your heart. 
I thank you that you didn't stop. You made it all the way because you saw me in the distance. I thank you, God, that after Jesus went to the cross and died, you didn't stop there, but you raised him from the dead so that I could have a new life too. Today, I choose this new life with you. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And today, I choose to follow you from this day forward. I will give you everything I have. I will serve you. I will serve others as you lead me because I want to build your kingdom, not my own. So lead me in your ways in this life and the life that is to come. I give you my life. Be my Father, be my Lord today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be done here in about two minutes, but listen, there's no bigger decision, more better decision you could ever make in life than to choose to follow Jesus. If that's you today, maybe you did that for the first time, or you recommitted your life to Christ, we want to give you a little gift called The Next Seven Days. It's just a simple book we want to put in your hand to begin your journey of faith. Right after service, there's going to be prayer teams right down here near the front of the platform. Just walk up to our prayer teams, let them know you made a decision to follow Christ. They'll give you that book to help you get started. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, hey, stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Before you exit the building, we want to help you start your walk with God. I say this every single Sunday. I know Pastor Gary does as well. We celebrate people that come into the kingdom of God, especially for the very first time. We welcome people home who might have been away from home for some time. So this morning, we want to put our hands together and welcome people into the family of God. Amen. We're glad you made that decision. God bless you guys. Hey, good luck enduring the severe weather outside. We hope you have an amazing Sunday afternoon and a great week. We love you. We'll see you in the house next Sunday morning. God bless you.